My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited to be back with you. Nancy and I were out last week, and we're going to continue this week in our Navigate series. Everybody say Navigate. Navigate. We're talking about navigating through the challenging aspects and realities of life, especially as disciples or passionate followers of Jesus. How many of you were here and enjoyed last week when Pastor Malik shared and kicked off the series? Awesome. He talked about the Bible, that as disciples, we use the Bible as sort of the heavenly GPS for our lives and for our souls, that it guides us through the potential pitfalls and challenges that we might encounter. This week, I want to piggyback on this idea, talking about what might be one of the most challenging and difficult aspects of the Bible, of God's word, that we all face and encounter, that we all experience and that we all are challenged by. Have I created a little bit of intrigue at least? I hope. This week I want to talk about different religions and the exclusivity of Jesus. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. If you're in a neighbor in Guyana, say, get ready. Stand to your feet as we get ready to read and honor God's word together. We're going to be in John chapter 14. If you want to turn in your Bibles, John chapter 14. If you do not have a Bible with you, all good. We got Sky Bible on the screen for your viewing enjoyment. The Miami Dolphins kick off their season today. Come on. I've got high hopes and aspirations because goodness knows the Gators dashed all of those to pieces last night. So we're going to talk about the NFL. That's what we're going to talk about. And, but before we do that, we're going to talk about Jesus because I care about that much, much more. Amen. But also, Lord, have mercy on the Dolphins. All right, John 14, if you're ready, say, let's do this. All right, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, would you illuminate in our hearts the truth and the realities of who you are? Lord, for so many of us in this room, for so many watching online, for so many of our crew gathered there in person in Guyana, we have experienced a variant of religion called Christianity that is very different from your path and your way. Lord, detangle that in our minds and hearts this morning. Moved by your spirit. And God, you said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Lord, you see us dolphin fans in our perpetual mourning. Would you give us a victory and vanquish the enemies of heaven and earth, the evil empire, the New England patriots, and all God's people said, amen. Give your neighbor a high five, find your seat. Like, can you pray about football? It says pray without ceasing, y'all. I just believe in being biblical. We are a modern people that loves options. How many of you love options? How many of you like choices and options you like to be able to select? We are a modern people that love options. My wife and I just this past week had an opportunity to go to London and Ireland. It was crazy. It was amazing. 10 out of 10, highly recommend it. The way we got there was amazing. Uh, but, but in Ireland, we decided we would rent a car. We were celebrating our 11 year anniversary and it was exciting. Just Nancy and I, yeah, thank you very much for the one woo. And uh, I think that's that's pretty woo worthy, uh, but we were there. And so we rented a car. Now, when you rent a car in the United States, you have a plethora of options. You can do, uh, you know, an SUV, or you can do a small uh, sedan, or you can do a large vehicle, small vehicle, truck. Uh, 
over there in Europe, you, you really have one option, and that's manual transmission. It's stick shift, and, uh, and, and that's basically it. It's like you can get a stick shift big car, you can get a stick shift small car, or you can mortgage your house and try to find an automatic transmission, and so we, we did the sensible thing. And so I, most of my life, I have driven a stick shift manual transmission, and so I'm like, I got this, babe. How hard can it be? Now, I did learn that they drive on the opposite side of the road, and so you're on the left side of the road instead of the right side of the road, and so I'm like, okay, stick shift, other side of the road. I got this, babe. How hard could it be? What I did not anticipate is that you are also stationed on the opposite side of the car, on the opposite side of the road in a stick shift vehicle, which means for my entire life, you're not shifting like this. You're shifting like this which means you feel like you got no clue what you're doing and you're driving on roads made for go-karts. Like I'm like, you call this a two-lane road and, and then you got like coach buses flying at you going however many 40 kilometers an hour is. I don't even know. I think I sped the whole time. You got these coach buses flying at you and you're like, there were many moments where Nancy and I just connected and we're like, man, we're connecting with Jesus. And then there were many moments I'm like, I think we're going to go meet Jesus right now, actually, right off the side of this cliff. It was deathly terrifying. And I remember thinking to myself and in a moment of panic, just straight up asking my wife, babe, were there no other options? We like options. We like options that save our lives. We like options with cars. We like options with payment. Would you like Apple Pay or Google Pay? We all know what heaven's answer is there. Would you like Zelle or Cash App or Venmo? What would you, we like options when it comes to delivering our content. Do you want it digitally? Of course I do. What's a CD player or a DVD player anyways? We like options when it comes to all of our life in our modern world. And we like options when it comes to, well, God and faith and religion. We like options. The way we say it in our modern world as well, you know, religion is really just like a big mountain and, and all paths are basically getting you to the, to the same point. I mean, well, religion is really, it's just really like an elephant and some blind men. You're like, what in the world? Don't worry, I'll get to that one. We, we like this idea that, man, John, don't sweat it. I know there's all these different religions and there's all these different paths, but by and large, everything is basically getting us to the same point. It's fine, just chill. And that sounds awesome. And then Jesus, rolls up on the scene saying things like, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one gets to God except through me. And we're like, man, Jesus, why'd you have to spoil the party? We can't just be that, that everyone picks a path and, and you kind of pick the truth that feels right to you. And as long as you're true to your truth, everything works out in the end. And Jesus says, I'm the truth. And in this postmodern world that loves options and in a culture like ours, where at least on the outside, where we verbally express a, a deep affinity and infatuation with inclusivity, what do we do with the exclusivity of Jesus? How do we navigate it? What do we do with it? Are you ready for it? All right, let's dive in. Let's dive in. I, I want to talk today, and I want to frame this with a Bible verse that, that honestly made me wrestle to the point of, can I, do I, should I really follow Jesus and culminate in a Bible verse that gave me deep hope and an internal grounding of Jesus is the way and the only way. 
A little bit about my story, many of you know I'm from a Jewish background. My father, his family is, is conservative. Some of them are ultra-Orthodox, and so a strictly observant, some of them Jewish background. My mom is from a deeply Christian background, which meant growing up I was just confused. People would ask all the time, like, so is your family, like, Jewish? Or is your family Christian? Or I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And now it's like a thing, Messianic Judaism, Jewish people who follow Jesus call it like the original recipe of KFC, right? It's like it's all the first followers of Jesus were all kind of that way, but now it was just very confusing back then. And, and I remember I went up to the University of Florida, who we won't talk about their football team right now because it's too painful, but I went up there to UF and, and I was an English major because I love I loved thinking, I love philosophy, I love sort of theorizing on literature and major themes and and so I started digging into transcendentalism and I started digging into all these different literary themes and I had all of these close friendships with people who were from other faith backgrounds and I made great friends who were practicing Hindus and great friends who were practicing Buddhists and great friends who were practicing Muslims and great friends who were, who were practicing different faith trajectories and yet I personally had had this really profound encounter with Jesus right before my senior year of high school and and I remember wrestling with this thought because many of my friends who were from other faith backgrounds, they were, they were good people. They were genuine people. They were kind people. And to be quite honest, most of the Christians or a lot of the Christians that I met were not. I'm like, man, what's up with this? And I remember kind of encountering this and we still encounter this, this prevailing philosophy of, man, everybody is, is kind of good and everything's kind of just going in the same direction. And and as an extrovert who had friends from all these other faith backgrounds or no faith backgrounds, friends who were atheists or agnostics, I'm like, man, I, I would love for that to be the case. And yet Jesus says what we read this morning. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this was tough for me. Has it been tough for anybody else? Anybody else feel this and wrestle with this? It's challenging. I'd have dialogues and conversations with friends about spiritual matters and, and inevitably I would have these conversations that would culminate in some sort of a, John, I, I hear you and I, I like some of these things. I just don't know if I can accept the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. How could so many, and then you fill in the blank, genuine people, good people, kind people, loving people, uh, end up and be wrong. Would God really send them to eternal separation from him, this thing that is in the scriptures called hell? I, I, John, I just, I just don't know if I can swallow that. We struggle with that, don't we? Like how could, how could there's so many different people and good people out there, like how could beautiful lives end up in horrible places? It tears at our soul. Because there's much better people, there's much kinder people, there's much more virtuous people of other faiths and no faiths than often when you meet Christians. I mean, have you ever wrestled with that? You're like, man, have you ever met a Christian before? You're like, I am one. Exactly, that's the problem. Like, we're a mess sometimes. Let's have a little family meeting here. And there's this interesting dichotomy where you're like, man, how could this be? And yet Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
And so I want to take us on a little bit of a, a deep dive, sort of a crash course in, in philosophy and apologetics here. Each week in this Navigate series will have its own vibe. This one is going to be a little bit more uh, philosophical and apologetics in nature. If the Shema is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Some sermons are really soul and heart. This week is mind, and I'm hoping strength. So buckle your seatbelts and pull out your wireframe glasses, because here we go. When you boil it down, all religions are trying to give a set of answers to the big questions, things like, why are we here? What is right or wrong? What is the meaning of our existence? And how do I find purpose in my life? And so in a sense, yes, all religions are, are in a very basic sense trying to get us to the same place and lead us in the same direction. They're trying to answer the questions of how do we reconcile humanity and existence in a way that gives us life, hope, joy, and flourishing. Um, indebted to, to Tim Keller, he's sort of like apologetics Yoda, modern day apologetics Yoda when it comes to a bunch of these thoughts I'm using today. Um, but I wanna start big picture with a framework of things that we've all probably encountered. And here's why this matters to us in a very significant way this morning. Every single one of us have friends we care about who are of different faiths or do not have a faith background currently. Every single one of us have neighbors and coworkers and friends and family members that we love, that we care about, that we're like not out of some weird imperialistic religious motivation, out of love. We're like, Jesus has changed my life so much. I would love everyone I meet to experience him. And so it's not just some theoretical thing we, we wrestle with. It's, it's in our lives and hearts in a very literal way. I wanna start big picture. Tim Keller says this in his book, Reason for God. He points out that religion in general has a very strong tendency to divide people and cause strife. Can we say amen? So religion creates a slippery slope in the heart that tends to manifest into bigotry, oppression, and violence. Think about it. If you tell people you have the truth and you are saved by performing that truth, that has and will lead to followers of that faith developing a superiority complex where they feel like they are better than other people. That mentality begins to settle into your heart and once it roots itself, you pull away from the people who don't believe or act like you. You create distance from them because they're unpure and all of a sudden you create stereotypes and characterizations of those other people. Ultimately, what happens is you create a system in which you passively or actively participate in the marginalization or oppression of other people who don't share in your belief. You begin to dehumanize them thinking that they deserve it or whatever it is we conjure in our heads. This is the problem with religion. This is not exclusive to other religions. Let's be clear, when the way of Jesus, which is about a relationship with God, becomes a religious format, to create power, this is the same thing that happens in what is often dead Christian religion. So this is what we do. In our modern society, in order to mitigate the dangers of religion in an increasingly secular society, we have decided that we all must abide by two standards as sort of a social contract. The first standard that we all must agree with is that we have to believe that all religions are equally valid paths to God. In order to avoid the dangers of religion, we've decided as a culture, we have to kind of believe this thought. And the idea would be stop being bigots, just be tolerant, realize your way is not better than any other way or more valid than anyone's way or my way. All ways are sort of created equal. That's number one. And then number two, whatever your religious belief is, and I would argue that every single human being from an atheist to a deeply passionate religious follower, organized religion, has a religious belief. Every religious belief, every person just doesn't bring it up in their public life. You keep it to yourself you keep it internal, you keep it private, you keep it that way. Um, th th there's two things that you do not do at a dinner party. There's two things we don't talk about. We don't talk about 
Bruno, because I got kids. We don't, no, we don't talk about politics and what? You don't talk about religion, right? Keep it civil. Keep it civil. This is sort of where we've gone. This is important because we have realized that everyone is in fact religious and has a religious position, even if it's not religious in nature, such as an atheist or someone who might be agnostic. Each one of us have definitive thoughts and thinking that we're at least operating by in our modern day world about faith and spirituality. Now, it's interesting in this whole idea of there's, there's no one path, sort of every, no one path has it all together and no one path can get it right. Probably the most common modern metaphor that is used for this, and I'm not sure how many of you have heard this, but I heard it a ton going through school, is, is the elephant and the blind men. Any of you heard the elephant and the blind men story? All right, none of you. All right, so I'll unpack it for you. Basically, this is how the story goes. The story goes in our culture that, that all religion is kind of like the elephant and the blind men. And so you picture you've got these blind men here and, and they're all, they can't see, so they're all touching at different points of the elephant. And you've got the guys that, that ha- happen to touch the trunk and they're like, oh, the, you know, this is a long and flexible thing. And the guys who touch the legs are like, well, no, no, it's not that. It's strong and it's thick. And, and the guy who ends up touching the, the back of the elephant is like, no, it's huge and it's flat. And, and as the story goes, every single person is right and what? Every single person is wrong. Why? Because none of them know the whole picture. Now, at first glance, this sounds very compelling. It's like, well, that's, that actually sounds very humble. Like, that sounds, yeah, that, that sounds like, and it sounds really good until you think deeply on it and say, wait, hold on a second. Who's telling the story? Right? Because there actually is one person that knows the whole truth, because they exist outside of the truth and know the whole story. You're like, it, it sounds good in theory. Like, no, we're all just touching a point, except that in this story, the one who has ultimate truth and reality is not the poor, narrow-minded religious person. It is the elevated non-religious person. It's the same bigotry that they would say, like the only way you know about this story is because there's someone outside of the story who knows the whole truth that none of these poor blind men know. You see the problem with that? it breaks down, like it, it doesn't work. The person telling the story has the very thing that the person telling the story says no one else in the story has, which is the whole story. It doesn't work. It sort of brings us to, and when you, when you step back for a moment and study this interesting proclivity of humans to be grasping after divine truths and often formalizing and cauterizing them in religions, you realize that every single person, act, it's not just Jesus that's exclusive when it comes to his claims of, of God and faith. In fact, every single person has an exclusive set of beliefs. Even atheism comes with an exclusive set of beliefs. We, we're just here. There's no rhyme or reason cosmically to our existence. We just happen to be here. That's a set of beliefs. When When you come to the belief of saying, well, listen, that's fine. Whatever you believe, that's fine for you, but don't push your beliefs on other people. Guess what that is? That's a set of beliefs that is now being pushed on you. Do you see like the, the problem here? We, we operate as humans in some ways in unexamined hypocrisy where we tell people one thing and then do another. It's our human condition, but it is not unique to religious people. It's, it's a human problem. So if every single person has an operating set of exclusive religious beliefs, the question then becomes, how do you know which exclusive set of beliefs is the right Belief, and that is the question, right? I I obviously have a dog in the race here. Jesus, 
But how do you choose? How do you know which exclusive set of beliefs to, to believe? I don't have time to unpack every single religion here, but I do want to unpack what, what is unique to Christianity and the way of Jesus. If you're like, well, every other religion is basically teaching the same things, it's, re- it's not. It's really not. And I want to give two basic frameworks that are distinct and unique about the way of Jesus, and I would argue are life-giving and hope-stirring for the soul to any who embrace them. I'll call them the who and the how of Jesus. Two things that were tipping points for me in saying Jesus is, I believe, the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. The who and the how of Jesus. First, the who of Jesus. Everybody say, who? Y'all sound like a bunch of owls. The who of Jesus. Jesus is radically unique in regard to all major world religions because Jesus is the only leader, founder, if you will, of a world religion who he in himself claims to be God. This is unique. Every other major world religion is founded by a human with no divine claims. Jesus said he is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the Christ, the Mashiach, the Messiah, God in the flesh, not just a man. If you're looking for scriptural backing for that, John 1 is a great place to go. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John in verse 14 continues, and the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is what's called the incarnation in theological circles. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Every other religion says that the founder is a human, Jesus, and the scriptures says that he is God. He is not claiming to know the truth, He is claiming to be the truth. Now, often when people encounter the way of Jesus or Christianity, they'll say things like, well, I I don't know if I could vibe all the way with the fact that Jesus is God, but man, I love Jesus as like a moral teacher, which sounds great at first glance, except that Jesus said he was God. So either he is telling the truth or he is a very immoral teacher and a liar. He kind of makes you pick. C.S. Lewis has a quote where he says it like this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that often people say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. He says, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and yet said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil from hell. And we must all make our choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something far worse. He goes on to say, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not not come up with any patronizing realities that proclaim him as a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. It begins with the who of Jesus. Do we believe Jesus is who he said He is. That's the first uniqueness of the way of Jesus. Well, aren't all religions basically the same? In regard to moral code, yes, very, very similar. In regard to the identity and the who of Jesus, very different. Remember I said the who and the how. That is the who of Jesus. This is the how. And I know I'm throwing a ton at you guys. I hope you're taking notes and I would love to dialogue on this later. 
The who is the belief that Jesus is who he says he is. The how is the path of salvation that's laid out by Jesus and the way of Jesus or Christianity, which is differentiated from every other faith trajectory in the world. Because Jesus didn't just say he is the truth. He said he is the way. This is important. Who is Jesus? That's vital, important, crucial, and differentiated. And then how does the path of Jesus operate? Jesus says, I am the way. In a broad stroke framework, and obviously there are nuances here, but I don't think y'all want a three-hour sermon right now. In a broad stroke framework, most major world religions have some sort or variation of working your way towards salvation. Some sort of like, do the best you can, hopefully your good outweighs your bad, pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps, stop sucking so bad spiritually. If you could just try a little bit harder, David, you can make this happen. That's kind of where a lot of major world religions go And then you get the way of Jesus and the gospel, which really says the antithesis of this. Check this out in 1 John 4.10. It says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The idea of loving God is not unique to the way of Jesus, but the definition of love is very distinct. You're like, okay, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is love? You're like, what is love? The Bible, some of you are like, what? It's all right. You have to be in your like late 30s or beyond to get that. Um, what is love? The Bible, some of y'all know that college students, you know that song. I right, see y'all tracking with me. Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt. Okay, okay. Not, not, not the point. Anyways, pray for your pastor. Anyways, the definition of love in other religious trajectories would be you love God. The uniqueness of the way of Jesus says this is love, not that you love God. Because let's be honest, we're not good at that in any ongoing or consistent way ever. It says this is love, not that you love God, but, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, the who of Jesus is not just unique and distinct. The how of Jesus is utterly distinct as well. It does not, somebody needs to hear this, it does not begin with what you do for God. It begins with what he did for you while you were still a mess. This is what is so beautifully unique, distinct, and life-giving about the way of Jesus is that it begins with his acts, not yours. And what did he do to show you that he really meant it? Well, he gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for sin, which is the opposite of what almost every other major world religion says about how salvation, redemption, enlightenment works and is carried out. If you look to Hinduism, it's about breaking karmic cycles through your efforts and life. If you look to Islam, it's about your good outweighing your bad and then really comes down to inshallah, if God wills and in his mercy. If you look at Judaism and the various sects of Judaism, it's ultimately about fulfilling the law and another subset of your good outweighing your bad, hoping that you get into that framework. If you're talking about Buddhism, it's about escaping suffering through the noble eightfold path and working your way to enlightenment. All of these different approaches in one way or another it is about working your way towards salvation but not so for Jesus 
Because Jesus was not just a teacher proclaiming a path and rules and standards we need to follow. He came as the Savior who lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died when we did not deserve it. This is what the Bible calls grace. Unmerited, unwarranted, gifted grace. C.S. Lewis was asked in a major convention of world religions, well, all of you are basically saying the same thing. And he said, yeah, yeah, for the most part. They said, so what's different about the way of Jesus? He said, oh, easy, because only C.S. Lewis, easy, grace. Let me talk to you about grace. Nancy and I got a chance to go for, to celebrate 11 years married to London and Ireland for free. Come on, somebody, because the best fright is a free flight. How did that happen, Grace. We went with some friends to a Florida Panthers hockey game that all 17 people in South Florida go to. And we went to this Florida Panthers hockey game and we were rolling up late, rolling up late with our journey. We weren't even good fans earning this gift. We were bad fans rolling up late, coming from dinner. And as we're hustling up to try to get into the game, somebody's hustling towards us in, in an official suit. And I'm like, you know, I still kind of get flashbacks. And I'm like, did I do something wrong? But I didn't. And he walked up straight to Nancy and he said, hey, do you want to enter into a contest and win a prize? And Nancy asked a question that has never crossed my mind, maybe in my life. She said, am I going to embarrass myself? I'm like, I'm going to do that regardless. Let's go, babe. And he's like, oh, no, you're going to be fine. And so we had to do, so Nancy got asked to do one of these contests uh, to basically, you had to guess what type of food this is in this little box. And if you guess it, you win a prize. Well, Nancy guessed it. And the prize, because Nancy's God's favorite, this stuff never happens to me, by the way. I, I totally married up. Nancy always wins stuff. I've won like one thing in my life. The prize was free round trip air fur on JetBlue anywhere JetBlue flies. So Nancy, the little researcher, jumps on right away. She's like, JetBlue just opened a flight to London. So she calls her the next day. She's like, so I want to book a trip to London on this thing. They're like, uh, she's like, it doesn't say in the certificate that you can't do these. They're like, you are technically right, ma'am. I'm sure that will not remain the case for future winners, but yes. And so we flew to London for free. Yeah, it was awesome. Like, thank you, Jesus. Then I got a little nervous because I thought he was calling us home when I was driving, but he wasn't, he wasn't. It was just a gift. What do we do to earn those flights? Nothing. We, we were just there as fans. We weren't even there as good fans. We were late fans. We weren't contributing to the success of the team. We dragged our feet, got there late, and we still won. What is that? That's called amazing grace. And this is just a, a microcosm example of what we are offered from heaven through the sacrifice of Jesus. And this matters so much because humans have this unwitty proclivity towards self-righteousness. We're just bent in this way and religion, all it does is fuel that where you can, if you can feel elevated, if you can feel elite, if you can feel like, well, these poor people, then, and religion gives us that option. But guess what? The way of Jesus does not because the way of Jesus says in Ephesians 2, 8, it says, for it is by grace, you have been saved, not of works, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. If religion leads people to, to Tim Keller's point at the beginning towards division, and fragmentation and snobbery and looking down on others and oppressing others and hating others. If that's what religion does, the gospel of Jesus actually prohibits that entirely. Why? Because you know that you got in for free. How are you gonna look down on somebody else? You don't even deserve to be there. 
but you are. And so grace, when it hits the human heart, when it's done properly and appropriately as designed, it, it moves us and changes us to the point where we can't judge anybody else's entrance fee because we couldn't pay ours ourselves. It was covered by grace. This is the gospel. This is the uniqueness of the way of Jesus. This is the how of the way of Jesus. The gospel says it's God's work. It's God's gift. It's God's grace. God is the hero of the story. And so we can't look down on anybody else or bar anyone else from entry because if God didn't do that to us, how dare we do that to somebody else? Now we do, but it's not the way of Jesus. That doesn't mean we're doing it right. That just means we're doing it wrong. This is the beauty and the uniqueness of the how of Jesus. You take moralistic religion of any kind and put it at the center of your life. It will lead to superiority and arrogance above everybody else. You take secularism to the center of your life and you'll feel superior to the simple-minded religious people. Take the gospel, however, to the center of your life and you become a humble person who treats other people better than themselves, willing to serve because you're following the God-man Jesus who loved and served others who didn't love them back. I'm gonna close with this final analogy and then we'll close our time together in a song of worship. The other major sort of motif or metaphor when it comes to discussing world religions in a seemingly inclusive way is this idea of the mountain that I alluded to earlier. As the story would go, all religion is basically a mountain and everyone's trying to climb up this mountain, but they're really just approaching it from different sides and from different ways. But ultimately, at the end of the day, people don't sweat it and don't worry about it because we're all going up the same mountain. And it sounds nice. And if it were true, it would be nice but it's not true. See, here's the problem. Religion is indeed all humans doing their best and their efforts and their, their moralistic duties to try to climb their way up the mountain. But guess what? People can't reach the top of the mountain because we're flawed, because we're broken, because we have issues. And if it comes to our good outweighing our bad, you're like, well, I haven't killed anybody. Well, how about in your head? Snap. We, when we start thinking about the reality of who we are as people vis-a-vis -a, -vis a God who's holy, no one's getting up to the top of the mountain. And then you have the gospel. And this is the story of the gospel that melts my heart every single time. If religion is a bunch of people trying to work their way up to God, the gospel is the narrative where God sits up the top and realizes nobody's gonna make it here. And God's so motivated by deep love for you and I, so motivated by humanity, he gets up from the top of the mountain and he comes down to the bottom and the word becomes flesh and he lives among us and he dwells among us and he models the path and he suffers in the midst of the way. And if religion is saying, well, you better do the best you can to get up to God, the gospel says God knows that you can't and he loves you so much that in the midst of your attempts and failures, he already came down. And all it takes is a heart that says, man, I give up. I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. I, 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 I'm trying my best to be good and I'm so bad and I'm trying my best to do right and I do wrong and I'm trying and I am done. And I'm praying that even this morning, you hear that still small whisper, which is the humility of God. 
say to your heart, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you'll find rest for your soul. Friend, Jesus is unlike any other teacher, any other leader, any other religious figure that you will ever encounter anywhere else in your life. And he is not just the truth, but he is the way and he is the life and every bit of the longing. So much of our story in this room is we were coming from different backgrounds and different socioeconomic backgrounds and different cultural backgrounds and different faith backgrounds. And then we met this man named Jesus, the God man, and he changed everything. And so we gather every single week in the room, online, in Guyana, all over the planet, because we're so grateful to Jesus for what he's done. John Ortberg tells a story of one of his close friends that carries a watch with her wherever she goes. He said, it seems a bit odd because the watch doesn't even work. It's not particularly expensive looking. It just hides in her pocket. It's broken. It doesn't even tell time. If I were to ask you, how much would you pay for a watch like this? Your answer would be nothing. But if you asked her to buy it from her, she wouldn't sell it for anything in the world. It's priceless. In fact, it's her most prized possession. Why? Because it is the watch her father wore every day when she was a little girl. Her father has since passed away and it's the memento she carries with her to remind her of him daily. He said, the watch isn't worth anything to anybody else because nobody else can use it. But to her, the value is immense because it belonged to her father. And in the same way, friends, as we wrap up this sermon and think about this God, man, Jesus, his path, his way, his identity, I need to remind you that your worth and your value juxtaposed from every other religious system is not found in what you do. It is found in the fact that you belong to the Father. He made you. He loved you. And wherever you're watching from, if you're over there in Guyana right now, if you're here in the room, I wanna remind you, you are so loved by God. It is absolutely life-changing, heart-melting, mind-transforming. And you are loved by God before you ever did a single thing to deserve it. Before you ever mustered up a good deed, a good work, a religious act. In fact, while you were still sinning and rebelling against God, scripture says Jesus loved you and died for you. This is the beauty. This is the uniqueness of the way of Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And friend, you were made for relationship with him. And my takeaway this morning is that if you already know Jesus, you're already a follower of Jesus, that you would believe in the gospel more deeply and more robustly from the heart. Living a life of gratitude where judgmentalism falls to the side because you're like, how could I ever? Because God's been so gracious to me. I just want to be gracious to everybody else. And if you don't yet know Jesus, I am praying that today, that this very morning, you would make a choice, you would make a decision, that the grace of God would stir your heart in such a way where you would say, man, this is what I need. This is what I've been searching for. This is what I've been longing for everywhere else, that you would repent, that you would change your mind, that you would change your approach and trajectory and believe the good news of the gospel. Let me pray for us, then we'll close out in a final chorus of worship together. Jesus, you're incredible, you're faithful. 
Your grace is amazing. And Lord, I'm asking right now that for those of us that know you and love you, that this morning would stir and re-stir in our hearts, wonder at the goodness and the grace of God. That you, the God-man, came down from the mountain. Word became flesh. And Lord, for any that are in this room that do not yet know you, I am praying that, that even this morning, they would turn to you in faith because of your grace, because of your goodness, because of your great love. In Jesus' name.